Happy New Year again. So great to see you. Um, you ever been to a really fun wedding? Super fun wedding? Anybody? A couple of you have, right? Uh, I love wedding. I mean, it's such an honor to stand up there. You got a couple getting married and all this love. It's a special moment. I mean, it's incredible. I've done weddings in churches, parks, wineries. I did a wedding at a train station one time. Uh, I've just done weddings all, all over the place, and they're just a lot of fun. I did a wedding one time here in Arlington at a very nice park. I did not know this showing up. I mean, I knew who the bride and groom were. I didn't know who was going to be there. And what it was, it was the groom and, it was groom and myself, and the rest of the people there were all NFL cheerleaders. Yes. I was like, whoa. So uh, I, I got done with the wedding, and I got back to my car. The first thing I did was call my wife. I didn't call her because I was excited about the wedding. I didn't call her because I was gonna, that I was in trouble, but I was going to be in trouble if I didn't immediately call her and tell her about the wedding. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a couple of you smiling, nodding. Okay, if you don't understand, like, what is he talking about? Go and make a friend and talk to the people who are smiling, nodding. They'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Weddings are fun. I've been to weddings that are so fun. I've been to weddings that are so loving. I've been to weddings that are really late. Like the, the latest one I've been to, it started four hours late. It was up in New Jersey. Four hours late. It's like, oh my gosh, no one's going to stay. And it was a huge wedding too. And I couldn't believe it, but people stayed. They actually stayed a long time. Uh, how about those speeches? Usually given by the best man or the maid or the matron of honor. You know what I'm saying? Some are done so well. That you could tell people put a lot of thought into it. And they're very moving and people are crying. And, and then other times, not so much. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen a bad speech at a wedding? Like a really... Really bad speech. I've seen some. I've seen some where it's like they were thinking about what they're going to say as they walked up to the microphone and they just kind of rambled. I've seen people uh, give speeches and completely intoxicated. Uh, I've seen people have to take the mic away from them and ask them to sit down. There's been cringy moments. There's been awkward moments. Lots and lots of stuff. I did a a wedding uh, many, many years ago, actually right here in Arlington at a beautiful restaurant. Everything looked great. The restaurant was great. It was a very big wedding. They actually had uh, half of the restaurant. It was a very large restaurant. Half of the wedding was in part of the restaurant, and then they had a reception afterwards, and it was just wonderful, and it came time for the speech. And so the bride's sister was her maid of honor, and she got up and started her speech this way. She said, my sister, called her by name, has had a very difficult life. Because as you can see, I am so pretty. And then it got worse from there. It got worse. She talked about how, how she was so much more beautiful, so much more accomplished, so much more intelligent. More, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was at a place where I was seated that I was not too far from the bride. And when she started the speech and she said that, I just saw her eyes fall. And I can just tell she was completely exhausted because she had experienced so much injustice in her life. I, I felt so bad for her. Today is Dr. King weekend. And I think that most preachers, like myself, uh, revere Dr. King. Maybe for a number of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons, Dr. King was a walking quote machine. I don't, I mean, who, who, can, who can make that many brilliant quotes? 
There's, they're all over the place. So uh, just down the road from here is the memorial to Dr. King. And on the south wall of the memorial, here's what it says. We got it on the screen for you. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. That's just a great way to say it and a very creative, memorable way to say it. It's just a walking, brilliant, quote, machine. I think about this bride. This bride needed justice. And, you know, she's probably in this situation that she's in. I'm guessing. I don't know, but I'm just, it's just a guess is that the parents actually enabled it probably for years in showing like this preferential love towards the sister. Uh, she wasn't married, by the way. Wonder why. Okay. But <laughs> enabled it. I, I just, you know, such a sad moment. She needed justice. There are people in this world that need justice. There, there are groups of people that need justice. And maybe yourself today. Maybe you identify with that bride. Like, I really need justice in my, I'm, I'm starving, I'm crying out, I'm exhausted from the lack of justice that I've experienced. This is, this is what I want to talk about today. Um, Jesus put it this way so well. This is at the beginning of the most famous sermon preached in the history of the world. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start a series on it in two weeks, but this was just so good. I had to put it in here today. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 6. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, Jesus says righteousness, interesting. Because when I think about myself, when, when I am not experiencing justice, I think, man, I'm starving for, like that bride, I'm starved, I need it. The only thing that's gonna satisfy me is if I get justice. And it's kind of interesting that Jesus uses the word right, it's unexpected, uses the word righteousness here instead of justice. Like we're starving for righteousness, not justice, because I often think, as I said, man, what I'm starving for is not righteousness. I'm starving for justice. So what is this righteousness thing? It's talking about, Jesus says, it's going to quench your thirst. Like when you feel like you're starving, what you're really starving for is righteousness, not justice. What is this all about? The theme of the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, the entire theme for that sermon is all about righteousness. So what exactly is righteousness. Now check this out what the Bible says about righteousness. Psalm 34. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their distress and trouble. Whoa, wait a minute. That sounds powerful. I want to get my prayers heard. I want to get my prayers answered. And so do you. And it says it's the the righteous, not the just, the righteous. Whoever's righteous, God says, I'm going to hear your prayers if you're righteous. And you know what? I'm going to deliver you. I'm I'm very much interested in that. How about you? I I feel like that bride needed righteousness that day. Somebody needed to deliver her out of her pain and her suffering. And I look at other people in this world and I'm like, man, you need justice. And Jesus says, no, you actually need righteousness. Now, I want you to think about yourself today. And you might say, okay, John, I haven't experienced anything like that bride. I haven't experienced anything like other people have. Others of us say, oh yeah, I'm just like that bride or I'm experiencing terrible injustice in my life. This is what we know, everybody. Our world is filled with injustice. So whether something immediately comes to your mind or it's deep down in the recesses, 
that's operating in there because we've all experienced on some level injustice and we're going to have an ache this dissatisfied ache until it's filled. So this is why righteousness is so very important. So I want to I try to unpack this word for a minute because it seems to be so important. Again, it's the theme of the most famous sermon ever preached. What exactly, everybody, is righteousness? All right, it's a word, zedekah, zedekah. The T is silent, zedekah. This is where the word righteousness comes from. And it means a bunch of different things. It means justice, but it also means charity. And those are, those are different things. Like Usually when you read the definition of a word, there's like a great similarity. But wait a minute, justice and charity, they're like different things. So what in the world is this righteousness? And then it's innocence or it's integrity. It's equity. It's fairness. It means to make things right or to put things right. That bride needed things to be put right in her life. That bride needed things to be made right. And there's many of us here today, you're facing a situation now or in your past, and there's an ache inside because you need somebody to come and to put things right or make things right, and that's righteousness. It's being right with God and others. And lastly, it's just righteousness. Now, I love the way Jonathan Sachs says it because he's combining together this concept that is so critically important for us to understand, and it's going to be challenging. Jonathan Sachs says that righteousness, zedakah in the Bible, this most important concept that is the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is justice that is tempered by compassion. It is justice, but it is tempered by compassion. Now, we just got done with Advent. We just got done with Christmas, right? And we talked a lot about baby Jesus, right? And uh, Mary and Joseph. So at the beginning of Matthew, they're supposed to get married, They're engaged to each other, and Mary shows up pregnant. And so Joseph has a big decision to make. Again, she's like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit did it. Like, right, okay, very good. He has a decision to make. Matthew 1.19, look what it says about him. This is so cool. Joseph, since he was what kind of man? A righteous man. Wasn't a just man. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. He did not want to disgrace her. That's really important. He did not want to disgrace her. The laws of the land in that day would say to Joseph, the law of the land in that time said, hey, Joseph, (laughs) the law says you can throw her in jail and then just throw away the key. You deserve that. Justice deserves that. That's what you can do. That's what justice says. That's what the law of the land said back then. But you know what? Righteousness comes along. Compassion and mercy comes along because it's justice and compassion. It says, oh, no, no, we need to do something different. Thank goodness he did something different, right? He was a righteous man, not just a just man. That is very, very different. Now, again, I'm going to give you a quote. It's not as well known as what I said a few moments ago. But again, here is where Dr. King is off the charts brilliant, and he speaks to righteousness here. He's talking to us about this thing. Look what he says. Power without love is reckless, and it's abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. Now, here we go. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. That's brilliant. Dr. King is describing righteousness. Righteousness. This is so important. And if you know much about Dr. King's life, people kept trying to draw him away and say, you know what? You need to just pull to one side. You need to pull away from righteousness. 
need to pull away from that. You need to go ahead. You can take that love out of there. We just need to deal with justice. And Dr. King said, no, I'm not going to do that. And that was the brilliance of what he, what he led and why it changed the world. So I want to put it this way, just so we can remember. Here's righteousness. Justice plus compassion equals righteousness. That's the concept. That's the concept behind the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world that changed the world. It's justice, but you have to add compassion or love to it. Very interchangeable words. Justice, but you gotta add compassion or love to it. Or, or it's compassion, but you gotta add justice to that. See, love alone will not work. And that seems odd to me. Why won't love alone work? I mean, Taylor Swift said, it's a love story, not a righteous story, right? Isn't that what she said? And if anybody is older in the room, didn't the Beatles sing, all you need is love? Isn't that right? Isn't love the way to go? Why won't love and love alone work? What's the problem here? Why do I need righteousness? Why do I need justice and love? Why can't it just be love and it just covers everything, everybody? Here's the reason why. It's the same reason why we don't let a judge preside over the trial of their child, right? Because love is always preferential. Love is always preferential. And that's why you need justice added to love. Because love, we by nature show preferential love. It's just the way it works. We're, We're inclined to it. We naturally drift towards preferential love. And if we're not careful, it leads us to some really dangerous and unjust things. Okay, we're in D.C., all right? We're in D.C. Let's hypothetically say this. Let's say that there is one political party and somebody in the other political party does something and we get very upset about it. This party gets very upset about what this person did over here and we jump up and down and we vilify and we say all kinds of wild, extreme, like face is red. I can't believe this. And then somebody in this party over here does a very similar thing and somehow it's not so bad. Like we spin it, like it's almost like a good thing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's preferential love. It falls to us now. The algorithms of, of social media are geared towards us and appeal to our preferential love. And we naturally fall into this. It's something that happens. Now, Jesus says, here's the problem. It's not gonna satisfy you. Oh, yes, it is. And Jesus says, no, it's not. Like, I'm inclined to prayer. When, when somebody who is speaking whatever I prefer, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Preach it, brother. Preach it. You know what I'm saying? I'm into it. I love it. But Jesus, no, that's not going to satisfy. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Please be careful. It can be very, very dangerous. Matter of fact, you're going to starve if you keep going down this path. Now, imagine with me for a moment, everybody. It's 1955. You're in Montgomery, Alabama. And every single one of you is white. And you board a bus, and there's Rosa Park. Now, many of us would say, oh, I would have stood up, and I would have said, that's unrighteous. You shouldn't do it. But you know what human nature tells us? Human nature tells us that we prefer our group. We prefer our people. We prefer our ideas. We prefer. We have preferential love, and that's the problem. It's natural to us. I'm not saying it's always wrong. Hey. I don't say to other people, oh, I love Krista just like I love every other woman. She would say, that's a problem. 
But what we know about human nature is, is more than likely none of us would have stood up. Because we suffer with this thing that's very natural to all of us, preferential love. I know we think we might have stood up. Hindsight, 40, 50 years ago. But human nature is inclined to preferential love. And it can be dangerous. It will not satisfy us. It leaves us empty. It will not quench our thirst. What is righteousness? The storyline of the Bible is about preferential love in so many cases. Like right at the beginning. First two people born in the world to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. So Eve names her firstborn Cain, my power. That's what the name means. My power. And like, she's really excited. And then Abel. You know what Abel's name means? It means nothing. <laughs> I was like, what's your second born? What, what's the name of your second born? Nothing. <laughs> it means nothing to me. And they prefer Cain over Abel. And then Jacob over Esau and Rachel over Leah. The Bible is telling us a story. Why? Right from the beginning and then over and over and over again because it knows something about us. It knows we're going to struggle with something called preferential love and it's dangerous. You think it'll satisfy? I think it'll satisfy, but it won't satisfy and it won't quench our thirst. What we need instead is righteousness. We need both love and justice coming together. And that is what's going to quench our thirst deep within us. Now, when I was a kid, I guess I was like 12 or 13 years old. Um, there was a lot of like cousins in the family. They were all girls. There wasn't a lot of, wasn't a lot of boys, cousins. And I had a grandparent that preferred one of the cousins, girl cousins over everybody else. Okay. And I remember getting into a car one day with my grandmother and the princess got to sit up front with the nose up high because she knew she was preferred, just enjoying, had all the room in the world, everything was great. And I was in the back with all the other cousins, all girls, and I think that women, females, are just a higher life form. Like they perceive things so much better. And I'm in the back, there's four of them, me, so there's five of us crammed in the back. You're like, hey, John, you can't do that. We, you did that kind of stuff back then. I mean, people hanging out the car all over the place, okay? So we're just all jammed back there, and they're ticked off. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? What's the problem? And like, Grandma always preferred, and they're just, 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 I'm like, and the wheels start turning. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Now it's all over the place. I see it. Preferential love. This is Cain and Abel all over again. It's terrible. It's terrible. One of Krista's, um, favorite videos. Actually, I think the first time she saw the video, it was very early in the morning and uh, she's playing this video and she starts laughing and very loud. She gets cracked up very easily and she's watching this video. She's got to watch this video, okay? And it's this poor old man. I mean, dude's like 80 years old and he's going out to walk the dog and he goes out. I think Krista said he took it off of, the, off of YouTube or something because it was so sad. But anyway, he goes out the front door and the dog takes off and it's like three brick steps and it drags him down and he falls down like on his face and he's wallowing in pain on the ground and his wife comes out and she looks at him and then just immediately turns, where's the dog? Where's the dog? Where's the dog? That's preferential love. I have no idea why Krista loves that video so much. <laughs> Preferential love is the problem. You've got to add justice 
to love. It's the only way it's going to work. Now, here, look, look, this is, this is what the Bible says about righteousness. In the Proverbs 12, in the way of righteousness, there is life. Really? Along that path is immortality. Life, immortality, because I bring the two together, because I'm, I'm being careful about my own inclinations to preferential love. Yes, that's what's going to bring. This is what Jesus said, the deep down satisfaction we're looking for. It's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard because we live in a world that is like encouraging unrighteous echo chambers. You know what I'm saying? Just one voice. All the algorithms put it there. Our human nature puts us there. This city, definitely. Maybe it's why this city is so dissatisfied. And you have to fight against it. You have to admit something about yourself. All of us, me included, that I have to swim upstream away from this. I can't tell you over the past 20 years this church has existed, people have come to me constantly and says, hey, let's go this way. Let's prefer this group over and over and over again. Here, I want to say this about justice and compassion, everybody. Justice is a judge that wants to know what you've done, right? A judge or justice says, looks in the pa- your past and says, what have you done? You know what compassion is? Compassion is a womb. So the Hebrew word for compassion is the same word that has for a womb. This is important. Hang on with me a second. Compassion is a womb that wants to know what you can become. Because compassion is about your potential to become something. Now, here's where it gets really fascinating, everybody. This is what we know about every single one of us. All of us were born for love, but we're not born loving. Like we have to see love and experience love and hear love in order for the potential to be loving, to be birthed inside of us. We're born for these incredible things that bring satisfaction to our life. Love, empathy, compassion, righteousness. The potential is in there. But until we experience it, it's not birth. It's not set on fire. But once we do, once we do, it lights a fire inside of us. Now, now, now just think about this a second. The most influential speech in the world in the 20th century was given just a couple miles from here on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. I have a dream speech, Dr. King. It's the most influential speech given in the 20th century. Why? Because it lit a fire. Because Dr. King was about righteousness. Righteousness. And you know what's fascinating about this whole thing? If you study his life, I've been given this challenge for years. Like, hey, is there any great humanitarian movement in the world that's not based in the Bible? And the only name that's been suggested to me is Gandhi. Because Dr. King learned so much from Gandhi. Do you know what Gandhi did every day of his life? You'll hear this again in two weeks. He read the Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi was profoundly impacted by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Read it every day of his life. He's famous for saying, I love your Christ. I'm just not so, not so cool with your Christians. It's because he was thrown out of churches. Why was he thrown out of churches? Preferential love, no justice. See how it all comes back around? Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount every day of his life. And Dr. King goes there to learn about his thoughts on the righteousness that Jesus says will satisfy your thirst and my thirst. The most influential sermon in the history of the world is the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll be studying in two weeks. The most influential person in the world was a guy by the name of Abraham, a no-name shepherd who God says, your name's going to be famous. And we wonder, scholars wonder, why Abraham? Why? Every Jewish person, Christian, and Muslim says, Abraham is the father of my faith. That is more than half of this planet, everybody. Why him? 
Genesis 18 is the only indication that we know of as to why God chose Abraham. Here's what it says. I have chosen him for a reason, namely, that he will carefully instruct his children and his household to keep themselves strong in relationship to me and to walk in my ways by doing, here it comes, what is good and right in the world by showing mercy and justice. That's righteousness, everybody. By showing mercy and justice to all other people. Um, I just want to say in conclusion here this morning, uh, you know, righteousness, pursuing righteousness. We, we have a natural inclination, inclination to unrighteous echo chambers. It is so strong. Even churches are hit with it. A lot of times we don't want to do that. And I just want to say, please help us. Please help us create this place. Today is group signups. And what you'll find in grace, very, very, very diverse group of people. Because we feel like God has called us to follow that path of righteousness, which means that we respect people from very diverse viewpoints that we're saying, you know what, we're not going to give in to preferential love. So today, you know, as Brian said a few minutes ago, we encourage you to sign up and don't like run away all of a sudden when you get to a group like, oh my gosh, can you believe they just said that or did that or whatever? Oh no, maybe, maybe it's time for us to press into it like Jesus said. Maybe satisfaction doesn't come from being around a bunch of other people who are just like us. Maybe it's time for us to try out what Jesus said. Don't Jesus said, hey, if you try my ways, you'll find out they work. And Jesus says, we'll be deep down satisfied if we try his way. And that's righteousness. It's justice plus compassion if we move into that. So I want to encourage you from a grand scale. I think Jesus thinks actually, Jesus thinks we need communities that are committed to righteousness. I can't think of a better city to be a community committed to righteousness than Washington, D.C. Because if you haven't noticed, we have some issues. We got some issues, but maybe we can do it. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be very difficult. All right. Jesus Christ. He is the righteous king, we're told in Scripture. Jesus could have come and said, oh, Sinner, 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 condemn, 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 condemned. He didn't do that, did he? Because Jesus is justice, and we all have to admit everything about our lives in the past, just like a judge. He's interested in what you've done. But Jesus Christ is the righteous judge, and he sees everything that you can become. And you have to know that that's who Jesus Christ is. He has a preferred future for you. A preferred future. And if you have never accepted that righteous king to be the one that you follow, I would encourage you today to do that. That's what it's all about. And that will bring the satisfaction that you long for in life. If that is your fixed point, your North Star, Jesus Christ following after him. Here's the last thing I want to say. God points us in the right direction. God points us in the way of righteousness, but we pave. God points, we pave. It's going to take effort on our part. The Sermon on the Mount, it begins by his disciples climbing a mountain. When you climb a mountain, you sweat. When you climb a mountain, it's hard. right? Like when you go to the gym, if you went to a gym that didn't have any weights, you wouldn't call that a gym. If you went to a gym that didn't have any weights, all they had was massages, you would call that a spa. That's not how you get in shape. It takes a lot of effort. We have to work for it. So I just want to think about this in the end because what I really want to end with this, some of us here today, man, you have experienced so much 
Injustice. And my heart goes out to you. I've been praying for you all week. We've been praying as a staff. God, let those who are hurting, like that bride whose eyes fell exhausted, living in that dark shadow of an of a sister who treated her so poorly and parents who wouldn't stand up for her. Listen, God points, we pay. It's come time for some of us to say, you know what? I'm gonna need to set a boundary with you, sister. I'm gonna need to set a boundary with you, parents. I'm gonna need to set a boundary with you, friend. No, no, actually, you're not gonna give the speech at my wedding. That's gonna be hard. Some of us need to have that conversation. I'm gonna, in a moment, I'm gonna ask everybody to come over here. Prayer team's gonna pray. Like, we're geared up. We're ready to roll. We wanna pray for justice. You experiencing the freedom of justice today is very important to us. But more than anything else, we're gonna pray for righteousness over here. That God would heal those wounds. But God can only point. You and I have to pave. You know what would be even better yet? Is if that sister that obnoxious sister that gave that speech, would it be best if she would have got up for that speech and she would have said, hey, sister, life has been difficult for you because I've just been a miserable person to you. I've been selfish. I've said cruel things. And I want to say in front of everybody today on your wedding day, sister, please forgive me because you truly have been the special one who has patiently endured. Now that would have been righteousness. That would have been wonderful. God can only point, we have to pave. Where do you need to pave the road? What do you need to do? God wants to see your thirst quenched and righteousness is the path that will do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much. You know that you really clarify for us so well. Here's what you need. Here is how you get those wounds healed. Here is how you get that thirst quenched. It's through righteousness. So Lord, right now I want to pray especially for every single person here that's hurting like that bride. They feel exhausted. Their eyes have fallen. Like, oh, please, when is it going to end? God, I ask for your healing hand. I ask God that you would touch us and help us and heal us. And for the many people that will go to the prayer wall today, Lord, I ask that you would do just a special thing, just an extra special thing in the hearts and the lives of your, your children today. Thank you, Jesus, that you came for us and that you love us so much. In Christ's name. Amen.